So welcome back to Coffee Conversations and Badass Podcast. And Mike, Walk to Talk America is with us. Stay tuned because there's some more badass shit that's going to come out. Mike, man, we're just talking about uh, nonprofits and really walking the talk. You know, a lot of them do the talk, but not enough of, not enough of them do the walk with this. Uh, that's been my experience. Has that been your experience as well? Yeah, actually it has. Uh, unfortunately, there's so many like buzz phrases that people can use that I think a lot of people don't check to see what does that really mean, right? Like if you're working in mental health, like you say mental health awareness and end the stigma and all these things where people like that sounds really good, right? Like that sounds like, oh, they're really doing some great work. And that's exactly what I didn't want my organization to be. Um, uh, unfortunately, when I first got involved with Mental Health America, I had put a lot of faith in the, the outreach that they were talking about. But before we kind of dive into that, I want to talk about why it shifted to suicide prevention. Because originally when I first started this, I was really high on the mass shooter thing. Uh, just because like I said, the, the, everything that was in that paper and I was just like, man, if we could fund that stuff, like we could really, it could be a game changer. Um, and basically, uh, I got so much pushback, not from the gun side, but from the mental health side, um, in speaking with and talking to people that worked in epidemiology, like research, they were like, focus on suicide prevention. Um, because that's, that's something you could move the needle on. And I was just like, no, 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 that's great. I want to do that too, but I want to really stop mass shooters. And they were like, bro, like just finding the next mass shooters, like the equivalent of finding a needle in a haystack. Right. Um, they, they were like, you could, I was like, make it make sense to me, man. Cause it, it sounds like we could do these certain things to, to stop them, the outreach, the stuff that they're talking about in this paper. And they were like, you could take 10 people that suffer from bipolar disorder and hand them a firearm, even schizophrenia, right? <laughs> and hand them a firearm. And he's like, all 10 of them go their whole life without, you know, hurting a fly or themselves. And he's like, you could come home one day and catch your wife in bed with your best friend and snap. You know, he's like, so you can't, it's it's impossible. There's no such thing as like the movie Minority Report where we could see into the future. Yeah, there's key indicators. Um, but, you know, as people that love freedom and don't want people stepping on our rights, we have to appreciate the fact that we don't want people checking in on us all the time, right? So, you know, finding the next mass shooter is like finding a needle in a haystack. But let me get back on track. But I just want to make that clear for the listener at home, why we focus on suicide prevention, right? Because suicide is something that we could move the needle on and suicide is two thirds of all firearm deaths, roughly half or two thirds, uh, depending on the year. But it, you know, uh, as far as action and being able to, to, to do something, the worst day of my life when it came to this organization was the day that I realized that mental health America didn't have the answers. Um, you know, I was sitting in a meeting with them and then I was just like, look, I want to fund all this stuff. And they're like, well, we can write those programs. And I'm like, no, you already have them. And they're like, <laughs> they didn't even know that that was their words, right? Like I'm sitting there talking and they're like, yeah, we can write this stuff. And I was just like, oh my God, they don't have anything. Now, if you ever really want to make yourself throw up, go out and get a bunch of people in your community and your peers excited about your organization and then have to turn right back around to them and be like, we're not going to be able to just throw money at this program. Right. And I remember the day I had a board meeting and it was at SHOT Show and Rob Pincus stood up because he had to leave and he's just like, Hey man, anybody could just give money to mental health. 
He's like, we're from the gun industry. Like, how are we going to be different? And uh, that was pretty powerful, right? Because I was like, okay, I got to figure out um, what we can do that makes us different, that has an impact. And uh, that's how I started on kind of the whole like walk the talk America like mantra, right? Because I always joke around. I was like, if I could rename this organization, I would name it <laughs> walk three feet over fucking there because I feel like most of these mental health organizations are so stuck in needing to talk about language and uh, messaging. And I think those things have a role and they're important. But if I'm going to give money to an organization, I really want to see the impact that they're making. I want to know there's boots on the ground and they're doing grassroots mitigation, right? Like those are the things uh, that, that interest me. So, you know, I'm very skeptical when I don't know about you, but like when I look at an organization, I'm like, okay, they got the language, they got the look, but like, what are they really doing? Where's this dollar going? Um, and I get it. Like you got to make a living. Yeah, man, I am. I same, same exact way, man. I went because part of what, you know, my coffee company does is give a little bit of portions to a program to help out uh, veterans with PTSD and suicide prevention. That is the goal. The goal is to curve a 22 a day, but you know, you have wounded warrior project, which, you know, is fine for me that's not going to work because they do a whole bunch of other aspects of it. You know, I wanted something very specific, but then finding something that is, it's very easy to go to Google and say, uh, veteran suicide prevention nonprofit. And you're going to have pages and pages and pages and pages of people. So I wanted somebody local. So I found somebody who was local and met with them, talked to both of the, owners of this organization hung out with them, went and did some cool shit, went to a couple events with them, you know, uh, hung their banner up and stuff I was doing like really like, okay, here, this is making the impact. This is going to get them out there One, it builds them up and, and builds us up and we bring each other up together with this message. Well, I had like $1,500 check for them mm-hmm. gone. Couldn't fucking get a hold of them. Emails, phone calls, like, you know, I was going to send a letter by Dove, you know, like, it, was, it was gnarly, man. Like, and never again have I heard from that organization ever gone, just completely like they still have a website. They, I don't know if they're really active on social media. I don't know what happened, but just gone, vanished. Then I had, then there was this other one that I got involved with because I don't, you know, I wasn't looking for a huge wounded warrior project because 1500 bucks to them is nothing. That's not going to do anything drastic. I wanted something that could really fund something. Um, Then uh, it was just a different demographic and a message that I was not looking for. They were in a different, going kind of about it in a different way, in different segment. And it wasn't really what I was looking for in an organization. Um, And then I found... Uh, shelter to soldiers, a fantastic organization where they take a, a sheltered dog and train them to be a PTSD or an emotional support animal. Boom, fantastic. Uh, gave some money to them. Um, but I still, I'm finding that void I'm missing, <laughs> you know, uh, and it's very difficult. So now I'm gun shy about giving any money to anybody because of, I don't know where it goes anymore. 
And there's so many of them out there. And then what even made me more distraught about this whole effing thing was when I had a buddy who came to me who was suicidal and said, I need help. I'm going to kill myself, you know, and he is on this verge of it. So then I contacted many organizations about suicide prevention and get him help. They're like, oh yeah, he just needs to go online and just uh, fill out all these forms. I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking to myself, like, mm. you know, so I sent it to him and say, hey, dude, fill these out. Check in a couple, check in the next day, next day, next day, next day, nothing, fucking zero. He's like, dude, I can't, I just barely can even wake up in the morning. I was like, yeah, you're right. I, I was there. Like, there's no way I was going to go to my email and go, yeah, let me fill out this form to whoever it's going to because I'm not talking to nobody. And I was like, Jesus Christ. So then I started filling out the forms for him and putting my information in. So they contact me. Then I could be kind of that battle buddy and segue him into getting help. Um, you know, Semper Fi fund was one of them. Uh, they got back to me in 25 days. Uh, that would probably be 24 days too late. Mm. Um, I mean, there were several of them that, or some of them, the majority of them never, never even got back. And it was like headliner, like, I have a guy who is suicidal and needs help now. And never, not a fucking email back, not a phone call, mm. not a nothing. And uh, finally, I was like, you know what? I have to reach out to uh, a therapist that I know. And now kind of got a little network of going on. So if somebody needs help, we got something kind of immediate until they can get into a program. Right. Um, but what you're talking about, man, is walking the talk. You know, people are, they're talking, they're just not walking. And that is probably 97% of the people or organizations that I've found. Yeah. One of the, you know, not to make any excuses for anybody, but um, one of the things that I've found with this type of work, because there's nothing really like sexy and gratifying about it, especially immediately. I mean, uh, as far as the organizations, right? And I think people come out of the gate super strong um, because they're excited about the potential of helping people and helping people is almost like a drug in itself. Um, but what happens is, is when you you realize like how hard it is to um, to raise money, Right. And especially if you can't do this. So like walk to talk America, my first two years, I self-funded it. Um, I had very little donations um, and I didn't have the industry behind me and it almost worked to my advantage, I think, because I was able to tell that story of self-funding it. And then after like three years of having a presence, I think organizations were like, okay, he's not going anywhere. He is doing this full time. But I was lucky I had sold my business, the Eagle Imports to do this full time. So I had, you know, the resources to survive. But if I didn't, I wouldn't have been able to, I would have been the same as the company that you probably, that ghosted you, right? Like, I'd have been like, I, I put all this money into it and I can't, you know, I'm getting nowhere. Um, so I, I don't know. I think a lot of people, when they get into the space, they run really hard out the gate and then they realize this is no joke. It's not easy. It's it, it, you got to fight, you know, you got to, you got to look for grants if you're even eligible for those. Um, and everyone's going to love you, uh, for what you're doing, but everyone's going to expect you to work for free. <laughs> you, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like nobody wants to see, uh, a, a, a person working at a, um, 
a nonprofit pulling down 200K a year. You know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> but you got to make a living. You still got to keep your lights on, but but they don't want to see that. So it, it it is to me, like I said, it, it's something that you, it's a grind and it takes forever. And, and sometimes people just don't have the, uh, the means or the patience to be like, okay, I'm going to make change here. And this change is going to happen in five, six years from now. Wait till we see where we're at. Right. And I'm living proof of that. Um, but it, it, you know, in the beginning, I didn't even know, like when I've looked at it, I was like, okay, um, mental health America has kind of let me down in some sort of way. Um, and it really, you know, it wasn't their fault. They, they were, they're out doing what everyone's trying to do. They're trying to get raise money and develop programs. They were very open to developing these programs, but I wanted them already written. Right. So I had to sit there and go, okay, what is it that can make us different? Like what Rob said, what makes us different? And I remember the very first program I came up with was, um, and I'm going to share this story about my daughter. Um, she had come into my office and you know, my daughters had been watching me work on this for months. And, um, she was like, dad, I think I suffer from anxiety. And I was like, uh, okay. Like, Hey, you know, the organization that daddy's working with mental health America. I'm like, they have free and anonymous mental health screenings. I thought about that. Like just push her to that. Let her learn on her own. And, and answer it. And I said, answer those questions. Honestly, no one's going to come knocking at the door and let me know what it says. And, um, you know, I grew up in a family where if I would have said that some shit like that to, to my mom or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, like, I think I have anxiety. They would have been like, I'll give you something to have anxiety about. And we just kept it moving. And then it was, that was the way it was. I'm sure you grew up in something similar, right? It's, it's oh yeah. Joke generational thing but um my daughter comes back a couple days later and and hands me the mail and she's like dad i took the thingy or whatever i'm like what what thingy and she's like i took the mental health screening for anxiety and i was like oh i'm like how did it go i remember she like smiled super big smile and she's like i only have mild anxiety and i was like good you feel good right and she's like yeah and she's like it's cool they tell you how to to handle it and everything and i'm like that's good and on her way out she was like I'm going to give this to a couple of my friends. I think they could use it. And she walked off and I was just like, Hmm, maybe that's the first thing I did. So I created these, these bands and uh, I brought them to gun shows and I was just passing them out from my booth. Right. <laughs> just to try to uh, gauge the temperature of the gun, the gun community that was at the uh, NRA show or shot show. And it was, it, it was crazy how many people like, you know, they're like, what is this? Free and anonymous mental health screenings. And, and, you know, they were guarded, some were guarded, but it was crazy how many people were sharing their story of whether it's suicide loss or something they went through as a gun owner or how afraid they were to come forward, but we need it. Um, and that's when I knew I was onto something. So I was like, okay, maybe this is how I start building um, some actionable plans within the 2A community and within the gun industry, right? That, that was the start. Um, which, you know, later on grew to the Freedom Anonymous Mental Health Screenings going into the boxes of car, uh, you know, uh, Bursas and, and uh, Metro Arms and uh, Ruger and uh, Cannon Safe and Gun Vault and Arms Corps and High Point and Century, right? The list goes on and on and on. Now we got ammo companies putting Freedom Anonymous Mental Health Screenings on the side of the box. Um, that was that was the first pilot program that I was very proud of. Um, just uh, and I'm going to pause here because I know I go on and on and on. But for for me, it was a test, right? When I was like, what's the evolution of the band? I said, well, what if I put a card in the boxes of my guns? And I didn't know 
what was going to happen after I did that. I, I literally told my employees, uh, I'm going to put this in the boxes of our guns. And I don't know if we're going to get negative feedback. I don't know if the NRA is going to get pissed at us. I don't know if NSSF is going to call us and say like, what are you doing? Um, because mental health and guns were mutually exclusive back then, especially in our industry. And people would probably be suspicious of why are you doing that? Like, are you, you're going to get people in trouble? You're going to make people lose their rights. So thank God I had foreign manufacturers that didn't, I think really, they, they didn't have, they had a passion for the two A, but they didn't have the same passion that like us Americans have. Right. Because they're right. not used to, to having the, the, the freedoms where they're from, like in Argentina and Spain and you know what I mean? So I was just like, these are free and anonymous mental health screenings for our customers. Um, they can get help and this will help prevent suicide and horrific incidents. And they were just like, Oh, that makes sense. Go ahead and do it. <laughs> I'm not sure it would have got, you know, but anyways, um, that was the start. Um, it was cool because like after a couple months passed and it, you play that waiting game, Right. You're just like, am I going to get in trouble? Um, da, da, da. And it was the complete opposite, man. It was like we had customers calling. They're like, I bought a Bursa and uh, I just want to thank you like for putting this in the box. Like it has this mental health card. Like and they would share these beautiful stories and everything like this. So I was like, okay, now it's time for me to branch out and start asking other gun companies to do it. And it was crazy because like I remember I walked up to Arms Corps and Martin uh, Twasson from Arms Corps is the president who's a good friend of mine. Um, I was just like, hey, I, I want you to put this card in the box. He's like, what is it? It's free and anonymous mental health screenings. Charlie Brown from MKS who does High Point, right? Um, what is it? Free and anonymous mental health screenings. That's a good idea. We could do that. I was like, shit, all I had to do is ask. <laughs> like, that's how easy it was for the gun companies to, you know what I mean? So that, yeah. that's something and I'm really proud of. Your fear is logical. Your fear is absolutely, 100% logical. Be like, mm, man, I was part of the gun community. Am I going to be ousted? Because I'm sure that went through your your mind as well. It was like, man, I'm going to mm -hmm. be ousted. Like, they're going to be like, dude, no, we don't want to talk about that. We want to still keep all that separate. But man, all you do is ask. They say no. You move on. Yeah. You know, somebody's going to say yes. It's going to take hold. Just like it, I, I, one, I don't know how much ammo I bought and never knew it was on the side of a box. Yeah. Wild. Yeah, yeah man. And that's, you know, we talked about earlier, like gun owners in crisis. And really what I'm working for is to try to catch them before that, right? To get gun owners. Right. And, and there's a lot of overlap with veterans and active duty military mm -hmm. first responders. It's like, if I can get you thinking about your mental health and make it okay for you to be like, you know what, I'm not even in crisis, but I'm going to take one of these screenings to see what it says. Right. Um, and now you're like, okay, like I'm thinking about this and I can think about it. It's okay. Um, because when you look at my board of directors and you look at my history in this thing, none of us are ever going to do anything to get anyone's rights taken away. Like that, that would be career suicide, you know? Um, yeah. And it's it just, it's something where I was like, we need something. We need some hope. You know what I mean? We need to be able to be like, okay, we, there is something for us and it's by us. Right. Um, and that's, that's the natural progression. And, and we can hit all the other programs and things that we started, but that was the first one that I think is really been, uh, a key part of the cultural shift in us. When I say us, the second amendment community, whether you're in the industry or you're just a fan, 
you know what I mean? And part of the community, um, us kind of taking the reins and saying, no, 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 oh, you're not going to not allow us to tend to our mental health. You're not going to scare us into restriction and all that stuff. You know what I mean? We need to own this um, because we're the ones that suffer the most. I mean, we, we're the ones that have the access to the firearm. Um, let's not blame the gun. The gun had nothing to do with it, but it's, it's our community. I hundred percent agree. And I think another big stigma is, um, Psychiatrists mm-hmm. are not two A friendly. They are just like, oh yeah, mental health crisis. Maybe take those things away. Is that is that a myth? Um, yes or no. Uh, so what what we found over the years is that um, people that work in the mental health field, clinicians, psychiatrists, tend to be center left. It's just natural. Right. Just just like if you look at the firearms industry and this is changing and, and this is what kind of progress is all about. Just like if you look at the firearms industry, there's a lot of center right people. Right. So with with that, there's a lot of misunderstanding about firearms. There's a lot of misunderstanding about clinicians from our side thinking that they can't change or they are who they are. Um, but for the most part, I would say most people are gun ignorant. Um and that kind of is perfect segue for setting me up to talk about our next program, right? Which is one that I'm very proud of, but we have a cultural competence class where we give CEU credits, which are continuing education units for um, mental health clinicians or health care providers that are required every year to have a certain level of CEUs to maintain their license with the board. Um, and it kind of gives them a reason to come into the firearm space because it's learning firearms, cultural competence, knowing that, you know, if half of America or more than half of America owns firearms, most likely you have uh, patients that either live with somebody that has a firearm in the house or they own a firearm and we need to be understood. We need to be understood about our fears of coming in and talking to them. Um, they need to, they need to understand and, and, uh, understand the myths that have been bestowed upon the the firearms industry, right? Like most people don't understand the difference between an AR and what they see Rambo shoot. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and that doesn't help. Um, you uh, know, the hundred round, uh, hundred round uh, chamber. chamber, you know, that Biden's talking about, I'm still, I'm still waiting. Where's that gun coming out? I, I that like that gun. gun. That's going to be the, that's going to sell. That's good. <laughs> so, yeah, every person in the firearms industry when he said the dumb shit was like, I want one of those. <laughs> I, I, I was on. I posted that shit on Instagram. I was like, Yep, me and all my American second loving friends want one. You know? Yep, yep. Who's, who's manufacturing it? No. Guys. So, but back to your original question because I do want to address this. There are places like New York State, and that's one of the things the advocacy work that Walk to Talk America. Tried uh, to get involved in, um, there's something called the SAFE Act, right? So there are certain states where it is a little bit more dicey, and legislation is trying to be pushed to allow mental health clinicians to revoke your rights or at least put you on a NICS list, right? And that's that's those that's an unintentional consequence that most gun ignorant people don't think about. Like they don't think they look at an ERPO law, and I'm going to give the majority of people 
the benefit of the doubt. But most people look at these laws and think these are good things, right? These are things that that are going to help people. They're going to remove firearms from somebody. They don't realize these are awful things. <laughs> this is going to remove people from going to get help. And what's going to happen is the person who is at stage one or stage two, who would even consider going to get help, um, is now going to say, I am not going to get help because of the Erbo law or because of the New York Safe Act. And I don't want to lose my rights because that is the most important thing to me in my life. And then when they don't go to get help, they start to hit stage three, stage four. And that's when you have something horrific happen. Um, but most people don't think about it. I'm going to give you an example too. Um, I was speaking at the Aspen Institute for Health Festival uh, a few months ago and um, I was on a panel and they, the other panelists uh, to the right of me were super high on ERPO laws. And uh, they were spewing out some statistics that are, I don't know where they got the statistics from, but whatever. I mean, I'm not here to argue about statistics. Anybody can grab statistics from anywhere and, and manipulate them. And <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, when it came time for me to talk about ERPOs, I was like, well, I come from a different world. I come from a world where ERPOs get people killed. And I could hear the crowd go, what? Like, what is he talking about? And uh, I started talking about the unintentional consequences. And I was like, if I had a dollar for every time that somebody contacted Walk Talk America and said, I can't go get help because of the ERPO law in my, my state, um, I wouldn't even have to go out and try to fundraise, <laughs> quite frankly. So, um, but it was crazy because uh, after when after the Q&A and everything was said and done, I got mobbed, man. There were so many people that came up to me because I was walking around campus uh, the next two days. And these people were like, dude, I never even thought about ERPOs being a barrier to entry to get help. I always thought when the gun people were like, no red flag laws, that you guys were just being stubborn and you wanted to arm everybody. Now I got to rethink this, right? Like, thinking about like what you think you're helping, but you're not. So there is that misconception uh, and it goes both ways, right? Like we're, we have a, we've, we got to demystify the counseling process for, for gun owners. And we also have to educate the gun ignorant on the other side. I a hundred percent agree. I, I was for, and this is how I looked at, I was for mandated trading. And because Owning a firearm comes with responsibility. And I was, uh, he, uh, Corey was on my show here uh, from Firearms Unlimited. And he's like, yeah, man, I, I love that too. He goes, but this is how that works. Once the government starts mandating training, it's going to be this specific course that only gets done once a year from Billy Bob up in Northern California, six hours away, deep in the woods, and he only takes five people a year. And it'll cost about $20,000 to do it. And then he hit me with that. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, you're right. They would actually take that and say, oh, that's just another reason how we can take guns away from our, our, our citizens, you know, our law-abiding citizens. I was like, ooh, fuck. You're right. That's the same thing with these red flag laws. It's just, it's another way that could be unintentional consequences of taking our firearms away and also preventing people to go get help. 
you know, yeah. for example, you, you changed some people's minds, right? Why you were in this Aspen yeah. uh, conference. Did you ask yeah. a couple of specific questions? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, it, the, if people, if the 2A community could see the things that I've seen um, from my public speaking events with the the non-gun people, um, and they happen a lot, right? I get invited, I'll go talk to anybody. Like, I, I literally, I, I have no fear of talking to Moms Demand Action or talking to people that go to a Brady event. If you're going to give me that floor, then I'm going to take it because I'm not going to, I'm real big on not letting people control the narratives. So a lot of gun people are like, why are you speaking at a mom's demand at um, a demand action event in San Jose state? Well, the reason why I'm doing that dumb, dumb is because I need to make sure that they don't say dumb shit where they lie and they control the narrative. And then you lose your AR because they just said some stuff that half the gun ignorant crowd or 90% of the gun ignorant crowd was like, that makes sense to me. I don't understand it. I'm like a bird who flies South that doesn't know why. Right. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't, want that. I, I want, I want people to understand where the problem lies and it is in suicide prevention, right? Like I want everybody to understand what I learned by talking with some of the most brilliant minds and mental health. Um, so it's real important for me to go and change those attitudes and give people the opportunity to understand why transfer laws that don't have good Samaritan clauses, stuff like that, are barriers to entry, right? Like so many people are like, give your guns to somebody. Okay, well, what if it makes you a criminal, right? And then we can't, we don't want to do that. We don't want to lose rights. We don't want to do anything that could get our rights taken away. Our rights mean everything to us. The Second Amendment means everything to us. But having said that, we need to keep communicating better, right? And we also need to do it ourselves before government makes us do it. I think it's super important that your listeners understand that I have so many uh, USCCA instructors and so many NRA instructors that contact us and say, we want to add your curriculum to our firearms training course uh, for CCW, which I think is awesome. Because it's like, we're doing it ourselves, right? We can write that the way it's written. And now firearms trainers can bring up suicide prevention and a better mental health plan, um, which I think needs to be instilled as a firearms owner. I think you would totally agree. It's like, we have to understand safety. We have to understand what's going to happen in a defensive shooting situation. Um, that is not, you can't just shoot somebody and get away with it. It's, it's not like that, right? So we need to be aware of the laws. And then we also need to have a suicide prevention plan and a better mental health plan as a gun owner, because we need to stay mentally fit uh, to own a gun. Right. Like 100%. that. Yeah. So to me, having, you know, firearms trainers passing these out at their classes, along with wristbands and our slideshow deck that we give them, which is all free to them. We give it, that's one of the things we do. We provide it for any firearms trainer that wants it. We're taking charge of this. And then we can walk into those rooms with the gun ignorant people or the anti-gun people and be like, oh, here's all the things we do like to save lives. Like we're already doing these things. And then they're like, because the expectation level of us is so low that they're caught off guard. And it's like, we're better at this than you. What can you tell us? Oh, language again? Oh, you're going to talk about messaging? Oh, what? Restriction? Like that totally works. You know what I mean? So we need, we need to be in the forefront of that. Like we got to dominate them. Uh, and I don't mean, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to come off like <laughs> dominate them, like, but yeah. I, well, I, I'm no, we, we have to push back. We can't sit yeah. there and let these non gun owning 
people make the policies that are going to take place that are going to get our gun rights taken away because they're educating the public and they're giving misinformation out. Mm. And I think it's, you're doing a fantastic job of now combating that and saying, Oh, what, hold on. What you're really saying is not necessarily true. This is the truth, you know, because they're only hearing the narrative on their side. They're not hearing the narrative on our side. We try to speak up, but falls on a lot of deaf ears. And the show wouldn't be made possible without our sponsors, Red, White, and Badass Brew, and Go Man Go Productions. Your vision is our mission because we see it too. This is, you know, I, I'm going to go back to 2019. I had gotten a letter from the White House that asked me to be part of the Prevents Task Force for the the um, suicide prevention for the VA. And uh, dude, at first I thought it was like I was on punt. I was like, <laughs> there's no fucking <laughs> way that they're asking. They were calling me Dr. Sedini. And it was funny because I, I, I literally wrote them after like five months emails back and forth. I was just like, I'm not a doctor. I don't know if that's going to change your opinion of me. And they're like, no, thanks for letting us know. But, um, you know, when I got to got there and realized that I was the only person for the gun industry that was invited, um, you know, we had to give these, these Ted talks, uh, these small like Ted talks about what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish. And I remember I ended mine with the gun industry can help you with suicide prevention for the VA, but you can't make us a villain anymore. Um, that was an important thing for me to be able to say to them because we do have the space. We do have the attention of the, the military and the, the, the vets, right? We, I mean, just walk, walk through SHOT Show or walk through NRA show and look how many vets are employed by firearms companies. Um, it's, it's, it's a huge number. So we can help. You know, but we can't be back. They're ingrained by it. They're ingrained. This is what, you know, they train us 
you know, not everybody in the military, but a lot of us, you know, get qualified handling weapons. You know what I mean? So they build us around this, this weapon and how to use it, how to handle it, the safety of it, um, and make it your identity. Yep. And then once you leave, it's just like, boom, All right. yeah. your identity is kind of stripped away a little bit. And now coming out and saying, well, shit, dude, these guns that I had in the military, I can't even have in, you know, in the civilian world. I'm not dangerous. I'm just a guy who likes guns and want to continue doing the things that I did in the military is train and have fun and therapy. Let therapy is real. Oh, it's, it's insanely yeah. real. Yeah. I, I, it's there a was a, thing. The, the, the liberal gun club was just in town this weekend. Uh, I, I know a lot of listeners are probably like, there's a liberal gun club. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea there was. Yeah. They, uh, they're huge actually. And it's, it's basically liberals or center left that have, that are huge gun supporters uh, in terms of everything that you'd expect from someone from the far right uh, on that topic. Right now, where they go different is probably all the other topics where you go check the box. But um, when it comes to firearms, they do not believe in restrictions. They do not believe in these things. But it, it, I was amazed that, you know, we're all sitting around and um, I was the keynote speaker a few years ago at their conference. Um, how many people were talking about uh, the, the range is where they find their Zen? Right. And that's the beautiful place. Like when they want their Zen, that's where they go. And they don't want anybody screwing with that. Um, lead therapy is real, especially for people that have had uh, soldiers and people that have been in the military um, that, like yourself, that that uh, the gun was made the part of their identity. Right. That was uh, one of the, the great stories about me after that little talk that I gave is there was a, a guy who was highly decorated. And, and um, you know, I always joke around. I said he looked like Captain Crunch because he just had like so many medals. And I, I you know, I didn't know I was afraid for military, so I can't identify those things. But uh, he, he was like, you you know, when I was 18, I joined and he's like, you gave me a firearm. You told me to name it. You had me go overseas and kill with it. You made it part of my identity, what it represented. Um, he's like, I did everything you asked uh, of, of, of me. And then when I came home, he's like, you had no use for me. You told me, you know, Hey, like this, it's it. It's over. Like you're good. You did your job. Like, congratulations. Thank you. Move on. And then he's like, and now I, I struggle you know, I go through some crisis and the first thing you want to do is take away the thing you told me to name, you know, that's part of my identity. And he's like, that doesn't make much sense. And he's like, listen to this guy, right? That's all I needed was like one guy to, to put it in perspective that way. Um, and which was really cool because it looked like I paid him, but, um, it's true. <laughs> you know, it's true. Everything he said was true. <laughs> That's and that's a huge thing. And there's a lot of myths that are going on between the, you know, the VA and getting mental health in our in our two A rights. And you had somebody on your show just recently to kind of debunk uh, yeah. some of these myths. Yeah, we have the Guns and Mental Health podcast, uh, which is hosted by myself and uh, a gun owning mental health clinician who's like a, a unicorn. <laughs> right. Like those are the things that we can <laughs> staunch to a supporter, but a mental health clinician. And, um, uh, we had two representatives from the VA on to kind of debunk some of the myths about, uh, the VA being able to take your guns. Um, so I encourage anyone to check out that episode. It just released, uh, this week or last week. Um, what it was really fascinating because, um, and, and I want more, uh, 
veterans to hear this because a I like checks and balances too, right? Like I, I've been waiting for people to contact me and say, well, this is where he's wrong, right? Like I, I want that or, the, you know, it was, it was two people. It was Amy Johnson and, and this guy, Russell Lemley. Um, and they, they by no means were like super pro uh, VA. They understand that the VA has made some massive mistakes in the past and they were there to say like things do change. And I, one of the biggest issues I have with the VA um, or I had with the VA because I see the VA making a lot of effort to connect with Walk to Talk America and NSSF. Um, so I don't think it fell on deaf ears, my trip to the White House uh, in, uh, you know, in 2019. But uh, if, you're, if you're a veteran or you're active duty military and you have a bad experience with the VA, um, most likely you're not going to go back to the VA two years later to see if things have changed, right? Like they've already poisoned you with that mistake or misunderstanding, but the VA is fluid and it is trying to work out its issues. Um, but anyway, so that episode is out for anyone that wants to listen to it and do some checks and balances. Like I said, if you have a story, I want you to come forward because they, they said that they're like, we challenge anybody to, to, you know, debunk what we're saying. Um, and one of the, one of the things was, um, like Russell had just retired from the VA. He's been there for years. And he was just like, I've never seen the VA take someone's guns, but show me a veteran that doesn't talk about the VA taking someone's guns. Right. That's a problem. Like that's, that's where we got to yeah. figure out who's right and who's wrong. Like, and, and um, man, this, I got to tell this story cause it's kind of creepy. It's kind of eerie, but um, they were talking about time and space between your firearm when you're in crisis, which we all agree as gun owners, we all agree that if you're in crisis, Time and space makes sense. So that's, those are the type of things that I don't get upset about. But like some people are ridiculous when it comes to the time and space thing. Like they're like, if the gun needs to be locked upstairs, right? Like unrealistic expectations of time and space is, is really strange. Um, or when people just hate the gun, you can feel it. But time and space is something that we all agree uh, that needs to be done. But um, to prove their point, they were talking about Israel. And they were like, Time and space is something that they proved works when it comes to suicide. And they were talking about how the soldiers are not allowed to bring their guns home, like over the weekend and things like that. And it drastically cut down the suicide rates. And then Israel got attacked like a couple of days later. And it kind of gave me chills because I was like, how many people didn't have their firearm because they had to leave it home at the base? You know what I mean? Um, we got to rethink yeah, these things. No, they're not, but they are not allowed to own firearms. Yeah, they leave the military. Yeah, I know. It shows you that the it really brings you back to why the second is so important for fighting for. You know, because um, if people think that that can't happen here, they're they're crazy. Yeah. Oh my god, delusional! Dude, just stop with that yeah. nonsense. It, well, you know what? You're right. You know what? Just keep being delusional. Um, but if you really want to go check out what's going on, <sighs> hey, go to Border Patrol. Go go do a ride along with those guys, man. They offer ride alongs, and you can see what the hell happens at our border. And time and time again, that there is huge, just floods of people coming coming through the border. Just floods, many, many, many. Well, I can't I can't remember who it was, uh, but they just arrested a guy who was a uh, uh, what Palestinian terrorist. You know, one of the one of the big one of one of their big Palestinian terrorists coming into America. 
So they're here, people. Yeah, they're yeah. here. And the way to combat it is we would love our military to be ready, but that's not realistic. They can't be on every street corner because uh, that's not freedom. Uh, yeah, I mean, take it to the level of not even, not even that. You know what I mean? Two, two Iranians. Two Iranians. Two, yeah. Two Iranians. Two Iranians. Sorry, I misspoke. Two Iranians that were arrested uh, at our border. Uh, high-level terrorists. So yeah, and, uh, and that, like I said, even catching, right? right, we're not catching these people, and just even being your own first responder, right? Like, I mean, the, the place I grew up in California, and then there were neighborhoods where cops wouldn't even go into it to help protect somebody unless they had backup. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a huge reminder of just how important it is. And like I said, this is the things like I get it. There's a lot of nuance in this conversation because it's like, look, we got to attack suicide prevention, but we also got to remember that it's not a, it's a cold world out there. Um, but yeah, that was something that stuck with me because I was just like, timing was off on that point. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, I, I'm not laughing at it. It just, it is just a weird thing. Like um, we get complacent. Right. And we, we start to think, okay, okay. Like nothing bad's going to happen. We can start working on the suicide prevention thing. Yeah. We're not laughing at the situation that happened and what took place. We're, we're laughing. Like, you don't think this is real. You don't think this could happen here. That's, that's what we're laughing about. Like, if you think our gun rights just are taken away and we're going to be beholden to the government to protect us, that's what we're laughing about. Like, come on, that's laughable. Yeah. And yeah. so in all this feel good legislation that they put forward that only punishes like people like us, well, it did when we owned guns, right? Um, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, but like that, you know, and that's what I always try to say, like when I'm speaking in front of uh, a crowd that I know um, maybe a little gun ignorant is just like, look, I, I really don't like feel good legislation. That's not going to do anything that you want it to accomplish. Um, you know, I look, I look at the term gun violence and it's very frustrating to me when people use that term because that could mean so many different things and they don't specialize, like they don't put it in buckets. Like it has to be because there's different approaches, different solutions for each style of gun violence. And if you take that away, take gun violence away because, okay, yeah, a gun was used, but mental health crisis strikes again. That's a different terminology. Now people are going to be like, oh shit, we should change gun laws. They're going to be screaming, we should change to get help for people who own guns. Because now the narrative is being changed. Now they're not highlighting guns. They're highlighting the true root of the problem. It's a mental health problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know if that'll never change. Because, I don't, well, I shouldn't say never. Uh, there's hope you know, that we can do it because people like you are standing up and doing it. Yeah. yeah I, and I, and I appreciate that. And I think, I think it can, man. I really think the firearms community, if we lean into this can get to where the alcohol industry got with DUIs, right? There's, I always say nobody blames Johnny Walker when somebody gets behind the wheel and just takes out a family, right? Like it, no one blames them. They blame the driver. And um, that's the thing. I think what, what, people have needed to see out of us because um, I am critical of, of the way we have treated this, like always pointing the finger, right? Um, like, Hey, it's them. Right. Um, I think people needed to see that we were putting some sort of effort in. Right. And that's when I talk in front of a crowd that I know hates me before I get up there, 
And then when I show them like what, what we do and the things we do, I, I literally see this physical change in their appearance. Like usually a lot of them are like this and then they're leaning in like, Oh shit. What is he saying? Like, Oh my God. Like oh, that's amazing. Right. And it's not rocket science. It's just us putting the effort into doing this. Like no one ever thought Ruger was going to put free and anonymous mental health screenings in the box. And when they hear that they're doing that, that's what they needed. You know, they needed that. Um, because here's the way I look at it. When I owned Eagle Imports and I had an employee that would come up to me and they would point out a problem, an obvious one, guns aren't selling. I don't know what to do. Right. Whatever. I was always like, I, I don't need you for that. It used to make me want to jump out the window because I'd be like, I, I need a stupid solution from you. Like, please don't come to me and tell me what everybody can see. Um, Captain Obvious, right? Like, I, I need something. And I feel like with the, with the 2A community, many times, like, people were like, how do you fix it? And we're like, it's not us, it's them, right? And then they were like, okay, if you're not going to do it my way, then we're going to do restriction and all these dumb feel good laws that don't do anything. Cause that's all they know. Right. If and that's where, if we get ahead of it, then it's like, we come into the room and there's not much people can say to us. Um, you know, if you're confident that you do more than everybody else at this, and then you're going to win those arguments. And, and believe it or not, people, you're always going to have your politicians that are going to like stand on these certain things to, sure. to pander to their yep. base, uh, their irrational base. That's what they're elected on. Yeah. And they have to do that because they don't have much time. Right. Like, right. It, like you can't say to your people like, Hey, look, this is going to take a long time and it's actually going to outlast my political career here, but trust the system and have faith. It, it's like, no, I need to make you believe that I'm doing something like that's going to make the impact right now. Right. Um, that's how politicians roll. Uh, and like I said earlier in this conversation, nothing we do is like super sexy. It's a long game, right? It's the, it's the, how we got our kids to automatically put seatbelts on and not fight. It's changing the narrative, man. It's yeah. hey, getting one gunning manufacturer on board, two, three, four. Now we just made it a huge community. Now it has a big push and a big movement. Now we have a big voice and that's how you start making the change. You're doing that. You're making that change. You're bringing the voice. You're bringing the logic. You're bringing the reason. That's never been there. It's always been. Uh, I'm not going to say it's not never been there. I don't know if it's been there, but uh, you're bringing the power behind it. So with going back to the VA and, and veterans and guns, it was, I thought... Now, I've gone through the VA to get help, too. Uh, I had a different experience. I had a little bit of a bad experience once, um, you know, but and it, and it did shun me away uh, because the VA is really good at giving met pills and kind of what you're trying to do is fix a problem. And when I went in there, I was back was fucking hurting, man. I couldn't sleep. You know, waking up, just standing, it doesn't matter what it was do, what I was doing, it hurt. And I was like, what are we doing to fix it? And I'd go in there and the doctor's like, I've been living this for with years now. She's like, well, you don't look like you're in pain. And I looked at her, I was like, okay. 
what do you what do you want me to do to show pain? Do you want me to fall on the floor, cry, kick, roll scream, around, roll around? You know, like I'm on fire. You know, like this has been well documented. And she's like, "Well, what do you want?" I go, "I want it fixed." She's like, "Well, I could prescribe you medicine." I was like, "You're not listening to me." I don't want medicine. I don't want pills. You fucking will provide me all the oxycodone and shit. I want. That's not the issue. The issue is you're not fixing it. You just put a bunch of band-aids on this. I have to take one medication, counteract something else on another medication to counteract this medication. Like my medicine cabinet is just uh, almost like a gun vault. It's like, holy crap. Like, what are we doing to fix it? Uh, That is my issue with it. Uh, with the with the v, with the VA, um, and that was my experience with the VA. But since then, they've actually done a lot better. They are a hell of a lot better than they were ten years ago when I saw them. And and now they're really doing proactive things to change it. And I, I guess one of the things that really bothers me with the VA and people who complain about the VA is you have to be an active participant. You know, they set the appointment, or you set the appointment. You have to go to it. You know, you can't expect treatment if you never go up to your appointments, if you never show up. I don't know if that's been, uh, I'm sure that was talked to to death on there. Uh, on your yeah, show. I, I would actually be fascinated to have you listen to it if you do get a chance. <laughs> if you're walking around or something, just, you know, you can get this at where all podcasts are available. Because I'd love to hear your take just because you've had experience with the VA and you're, you'll freely admit that like, hey, that was my experience. But people have good experiences. But um, yeah, I'm they're listening to it. Yeah, there's so many, you know, it's like, I want to hit on the medication thing, not necessarily the fact that they were trying to pump heroin through your, <laughs> through your veins, yeah. which is odd, right? We already, we already know how that ends bad, um, the Oxycontin and what we've seen that do to people. But, you know, uh, you kind of made this point of you get what you give when when you when you work with the VA, right? Um and I don't want to, I want people to make sure, I want to make sure people understand that, like, I'm not saying like some people need medication, um, uh, you know, especially, especially when it helps with whatever condition or whatever they're battling up here. And, and, but you have to do it properly. Right. Like, I think this is an important thing to say. Um, I know so many people that are, that'll been on like psychotropic drugs and, and, um, they're still out drinking. You know what I mean? Like I'm taking this for whatever disorder I have and we're getting wasted at a bar. I'm like, that, that can't be right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So you gotta, like, if, if you get put on some kind of medication, whether it's a VA gave it to you or whoever, if you went outside of the VA for a doctor, you need to give that medication a proper chance, um, to, to work for you and to see what kind of results you get. That means keeping a journal to say like how I felt this day, right? Staying away from other drugs and alcohol uh, and any other vices that might interfere with the proper way of thinking. Um, because I don't, I definitely just, like I said, I don't want to stigmatize people that have used medication. Um, I think it's important for gun owners to understand that there's millions of people on these medications that never shoot up schools or do anything improper, but we kind 100%. of always default to that. Um, but give just like the VA, give the medication a chance, just like any doctor you see, give it a chance and give it a proper chance. Cause I think that, that that's what gets lost in this. There's no miracle drug that we can give you. That's going to fix everything. You know, <laughs> not yet. hundred percent. That, that not, it's, I'm sure it's coming. Yeah. You, know, you know, you know, what was the wildest thing was, uh, 
Uh, and I'm for people using medication uh, as a tool to get better. I'm 100% for that. There's a huge need for it. Uh, I'm just not for the, hey, this is going to be the rest of your life uh, type of things. And the cocktail, you, you should have seen the boxes that came to my house when I had my fucking order. My Me and my wife, I was like, I have no idea what this shit is. We started opening it. It was a big bottle of pills. I was like, holy fuck. <laughs> like, where are we putting well, this? And that's the funny thing about what they did for you, right? It's like, you're like, no, no, I want to get better. I don't want to be like, I don't want to maintain, especially taking oxy like the rest of my life, right? right? Like yeah. you, the back issue is not going to correct itself <laughs> just because you don't have pain. It's got to be addressed, you know? And, and you have to have real people to know what they're doing. So they said, hey, you have to work on your core. Um, and I ballooned up and they said, I have to lose weight. And I ballooned up like, Hey, I take full responsibility for self-sabotage. I ballooned up to fuck 275 plus pounds and I'm only five, nine. So I was a big boy put in perspective. If everybody who knew, who knows who Brock Lesnar is, he's six foot five. His fighting weight is 265 pounds. So I weigh 10 pounds plus more than Brock Lesnar, who is just a specimen of a human being. So that's what, so then I took action alone and then they're like, Hey, you you have to get your core strength. And so I tried, you know, but it wasn't working. And, uh, actually it was a, uh, uh, working with a, uh, fitness coach who helped me out. Cody Watkins, uh, was like, dude, do this. He goes, your butt, dude, you need to work on your glutes, you know, because that's going to strengthen your back. He's like, core is going to be great, but look on these glutes. And he said it in a way that I can't repeat it because I'm just not that technologically savvy with all that stuff. And um, holy crap, back pain, just way better than it was six months ago. Huge, massive difference. Uh, and I also refused to take medication because I was like, there's a ways around this. Uh, they wanted to fuse my back and all that shit. And I'm like, Boom. uh, and VA was like, yep, we want to take you. We don't fuse your back. I was like, well, hold on. You know, let's get another opinion. It took me four specialists. Yeah, we this way. <laughs> yeah. Well, then the last one spit me the truth. She's like, look, you're like, I was 31 at the time. Yeah. 31, 32. Um, and she's like, if you have back surgery, and you're going to be fused your back in the next 10 years. You're going to have to have another one next 10 to 15 years, another one. And by the time you're 60, you're not going to be able to tie your shoes. I was like, Oh man, that's a drast. That's a drast uh, analogy. And I was like, well, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for that type of surgery. There's got to be different answers. Uh, it took me several years to get answers, but I kept seeking it out. Um, and that's what we got to do. I think as veterans is one to seek that out. Um, you know, uh, Danny Caballero, uh, I mentioned uh, before, man, is a great advocate of like, hey, you know, medication is a great tool, but man, your body is a fantastic specimen that will actually help itself if you help it. Um, yeah. And he, he talks about it on his podcast and his story is fantastic as well. But, you know, going back to what you were saying, man, is like, yeah, there's tools, especially for physical pain and, you know, uh, mental and emotional things that you got going off are great tools, man. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from the, your interview with the VA? Well, uh, some of the things that I really enjoyed him talking about was, um, 
how the VA has really come up off of their, if you don't trust them or don't want to go through them, they will help you go to whoever you want. Um, that's something I really didn't, didn't know. Um, so that was like my biggest takeaway as a benefit to, uh, veterans. Right. Um, but for me, like, like my biggest takeaway, uh, that I was most positive about was once again, drawing back to, we get so negative in the gun industry about things. Like we almost, we're almost like wounded ducks, right? Like, um, so when we talk about the, the VA, right? Like we're just like, Oh, there's no hope or, you know, nobody likes us, the gun industry, everybody misunderstands us. And there's actually for all the bullshit that's going on out there where people are trying to get our rights taken away, there's meetings going on. Like I was, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I was in Denver, Colorado meeting with the DOD and the VA um, with NSSF, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, um, about strategies um, to, 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 to get veterans to, to trust the VA again, or at least give it another look. And I think that's progress, right? And I don't think we need to shit on that all the time. Like we can't always, we can't, I get it, .gov, like I'm not a huge fan, but we you know, if, if .gov is really coming forward and being like, you guys lead the charge, like, what do we need to do for the messaging? How do, how can we help? Um, we got to give them that chance. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I think it's like a message. What I took away from it is there is a lot of hope out there because five years ago, they weren't even showing up to SHOT Show. They couldn't. Like the VA was like, it's a conflict of interest. We can't show up to SHOT Show and have a representative there. And I remember saying, well, what if Walk to Talk America flies your representative out and pays for everything? And they're like, you can do that. But now they're actually coming and they all have their own booth at SHOT Show, right? Like we're seeing progress. Not everything is bad when it comes to what we're dealing with with the government. Now we got to stay vigilant and we got to understand that, yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. Like some of the stuff that the Biden administration has put forward recently is not good, but I was with the VA when that happened. Like I was in Colorado with the DOD and the VA and there wasn't one person in that room that wasn't like, this is a great thing. They were all like, eye roll. You know what I mean? Cause they know it's going to reverse the progress that they're making when we're suspicious of .gov anyway. You know? So to me, the biggest takeaway is hope. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not everything is do uh, doom and gloom. Mike, dude, you have, I mean, that, that is a, that's, it's a badass message. There is hope. There is hope. And they're changing and they're showing, and I believe they're proactively trying to do something good for mental health and the 2A community, man. I really believe it, uh, especially after talking with you and seeing what you're about and seeing everything that you're doing out there. It it's really is amazing. You know, um, that's why you're a badass, dude. You took some <laughs> tragedy in your life and you knew something needed to be changed. And that moment you met that lady in that bar, you know, three vodka sodas deep uh, and was like, yeah, I've got to run with this, dude. That is a badass, dude. That's a badass. Right then and there, you started the action and made the plan. And before your plan was even fully rolled out, you hit send, man, on that email to see where it would go. And you're yep. building something that is really badass that is going to change mental health and the 2A community and the narrative about people who own guns is also that you're changing. Dude, Mike, dude, you are a badass. 
I want to say thank you for coming on the show, man. Uh, I loved having you on. Um, actually, I want to have you come on again at some point because there's going to be changes that are going to be happening in your organization. And we want to know about those changes. We want to keep people updated. And we want to make sure that we're in front of this uh, crisis that's going on with our mental health, uh, especially these days. Again, Mike, I can't say it enough, dude. You are a badass. That's why that word exists is because of people like you, brother. Um, no, thank you. And the, dude, show, like, likewise. And we, I got to get you on the guns and mental health podcast. So we got to schedule that um, because I want to hear your story. And I think your story will resonate with so many of our listeners. So let's, let's keep this an open dialogue and thank you for having me on. Let's, let's do it, man. We're going to help out any way we can. Um, also, where do we find you, man? Where do we find walk and talk America? How do we get a hold of you? How do we get these health screenings? So it's WTTA.org um, or walktalkamerica.org uh, or on social media at walk to talk us. Um, we have, there are so many programs that we didn't go over, but one of the things that we pride ourselves on is, is literally helping people find help uh, without fear of consequence, right? Gun owners are a crisis. So one of the things we do have is we're building our latest program is we're building out our 50 state directory of uh, healthcare providers, specifically mental health clinicians, but all healthcare providers that want to come forward and admit that they are pro 2A and basically show the world like, hey, I'm culturally competent. We, we, we require them to take our courses that are on our website um, to be listed and come through. And many, there are, believe it or not, there are gun owning clinicians out there that just didn't know they didn't have a, there, there was a home out there for them. Um, but you know, it's things like that, that we're building. Uh, eventually we want to move to a telehealth for gun owners that need immediate assistance, which I think is going to be our next big project. So, um, this is ever evolving. So I'm glad you're going to have me back, but that's how you get all of us. If you go there, check out the website, uh, check us out on social media. And if you have questions, um, we, we're not like that first organization that that ghosted you. We are responsive. Um, you know, I, I got the most amazing volunteers uh, in, in this organization and it's a passion for them. Dude, I, I am so thankful that Rich at uh, uh, San Diego Gun Owners Radio connected us um, because again, man, we're, we're really building this community, dude, and a bunch of badass people are in it. I really do appreciate it, man. And uh, we will be talking. I'm coming on your show. We'll get it scheduled. Um, and then as new things come out, man, feel free, man. Come back on. Let's talk about the new programs coming out because those are equally important to what's going on. And that 50 state directive directive of healthcare clinicians sounds uh, amazing and very much needed, man. So yeah. thank no, you. Thank you, man. Yeah, appreciate you. If you have a heroic story, you'd like to share it, get in contact with us. Our information's in the bio. Also, don't forget to hit the subscribe like, and share. And then I'll see you on the next episode, badasses.